Sales is the most lucrative skill in the world, period. The problem is most sales advice out there today is outdated, cheesy, and can even keep you from getting the deals that can make all the difference in your career. This is the No BS Sales School, a podcast for entrepreneurs and salespeople who want to master the skill of selling without all the BS. Welcome to the OBS Sales School Podcast. I'm your host, Walker McKay. Today, um, I am super stoked because I've got um, Dr. Robin Odegaard on the show. And Dr. Robin, let me read you her, her bio. I think you'll be intrigued. She's a former competitive beach volleyball player turned high-performance psychologist with continuing education from the Center for Nutritional Studies at Cornell. She's written three books and given a TEDx talk titled Creating Success Out of Chaos. Her clients call her a smoke jumper because she parachutes in and helps fight fires, fight life fires from the inside. She absolutely adores intellectual stimulation of a good conversation, reads astrophysics for fun, works out five days a week, and spends her spare time gardening, tending to way too many houseplants, and training her dog Nebula to do circus tricks, which I might add, I have witnessed. I have seen Nebula do backflips, which is freaking awesome. And I want to um, today. I've invited Robin on the show. As a performance psycho- psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. As a performance psychologist, um, she is very familiar with um, how and why people make excuses. As you all know, that's a very important topic to me. And I wanted to bring her on the show so we can kind of dig in and, and learn more about that. So, Dr. Robin, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Good, me too. And what I noticed from our earlier conversations, WS sales team, is that Dr. Robin's pretty intense. And so she's going to take this conversation um, places that none of us expect, probably even her. So um, take, take a couple minutes and tell me how you, I mean, how does one decide I want to become a psychologist? Where'd that come from? So there's a couple of different things that kind of brought me here. The first is having been a competitive beach volleyball player, I was pretty good at my game. And there were days where I would show up and my game would be on and I could, it didn't matter. Put a ball up and I could hit it. And then there were days I would show up on the sand and it was like, have I ever seen a volleyball in my life? And I always wondered like, why is that? Why is it that I'm the same person? I know I can play this game. Why am I sometimes on and other days just off? And so because I didn't get, I didn't go to college until I was 32, I had the opportunity to have some real life experiences and get that degree from the School of Hard Knocks before I had to pick a major. And so when I decided to go to school, I had also a background of people who loved talking to me. I have a kind of interesting story. When I worked for OnStar, I had a company, sorry, I had an employer come to me and say, hey, can you talk to this girl? Her boyfriend just held a gun to her head for two hours. Oh. And I was like, I'm the technology manager. What? And he left her in my office. And I did talk to her. And I actually went to her apartment and hit all the guns and moved her out. And very traumatic experience for me. But I realized people trust me. People like talking to me. So when I had to pick a major, it was how do I balance those things? What does it look like for me to share the skill I have to talk to people and find out why is it sometimes people are really on and sometimes they're not. And that's 
how I came to performance psychology. I did clinical psychology as my undergrad. I looked at motivational interviewing, which is a skill of getting people to kind of talk through things. And then in my graduate work, I got to do some sports psychology and organizational psychology stuff. Goodness gracious sakes life. So how did, I'm curious about your boss bringing the woman who'd been through that traumatic thing, and this is not a, a knock on you, but how in the world did you or he think that you were qualified to have that kind of conversation? Other than I, you're just somebody who likes to talk to people. I think that for him, it was a man. She was she was in tears. I mean, sobbing yeah. to the point that she couldn't oh. breathe. Oh, and of course. he just had no, he was like, I don't know what to do here. Right. Yeah, <laughs> get off my hands. I don't know what to do with her. Oh my God. And so, so if you have, when was the last time you talked to her? I Ever have again? not talked. No. And then what's interesting about that is, and, and at the time I didn't understand this, but the cycle of being in an abusive relationship where you get out and you go back and you get out and you go back. Uh, so I uh, moved her out and I actually put her in my house. I let her stay with me for two days and then she moved back in with him. So the last I did hear about her, she did move out and get separated from the whole situation, but it was not my intervention that was the last right. time around the circle for her. Yeah. First in, right? The first kick of a mule is what she got. Yeah. I I don't know if I was the first or the third or the 18th. I have no right. idea, but I do know right. that she did eventually get out of that abusive situation. Well, I hope she's okay. Um, hope she's okay now. So mm -hmm. how did the, so really is the difference between having a great day performance wise and a same person then having a shitty day the next day or a week later. Is that really mindset? Is that the difference? Some of it's mindset. Is that the only difference? It's not the only difference. Some of it might be, did you get enough sleep? Is your body in good shape? Did you overdo it? Are your, you know, did you drink too much? Did your muscles get too sore? So the, the human body is designed to be anti-fragile, which means come back stronger, not just resilient, but come back stronger. Come back stronger, right. But if you overdo it, it takes longer. And so right. there's a whole bunch of factors, some of them psychological, some of them emotional, some of them physical that go into, am I having a great day or am I having a crappy day? And it's interesting because you have now picked up both sides of that with one of your businesses is talking about healthy foods, including mm -hmm. like a plant-based, plant-based nutrition in many ways, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the other side is the, is the mental side of that, which is freaking awesome. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk about this excuse thing. What is, if I were to ask you for a definition of an excuse, what is a definition? Oh, let's see. Definition of excuse. A reason given for something not taking place. Okay. And a reason that, given for something. Okay. Right. So I, it's easy to say a reason why, but it's not necessarily why some uh, excuses might be, there might be a what excuse. There might be a when excuse. There might be a where, a how, and then a why. And so there's different types of excuses, which, and they, you may not even realize and here's the interesting thing about the word given. Who are you giving that excuse to? Is it yourself? Is it other people? Do you recognize you're making an excuse or is it an unconscious voice of your mother? I'm a psychologist. Mm -hmm. have to say that at some point in the show, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so a reason given for something not taking place. So because some of that might be the reason that the wedding didn't happen was the bride didn't show up. Right. So that's not an excuse. Right. Is it? And that's real. Well, what's the difference between real and excuse? 
um, I guess is perception, right? Okay. So what's the difference between perception and reality? Um, it's what you think, what you allow, again, what you think versus what real, what somebody else thinks, the world thinks. I don't know. So here's, this is an, I tell this joke when I do speaking engagements, the difference between perception and reality is that perception is what you think. Reality is what I think. What I, <laughs> Ooh, I love that. <laughs> That's really, really good. And so freaking true as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a conversation I had with my wife this morning. It was exactly that, right? And both of us, I mean, certainly we both thought that way. So, so why do we make excuses? <sighs> That's a really, really challenging subject. So we make excuses to make ourselves feel okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so to protect our ego, in effect? It could be ego. It could be um, who we believe ourselves to be. Mm-hmm. It could be, uh, there's a lot of reasons why. It could be your position in the world, right? Maybe you make ex- excuses to your friends because they view you as something and you aren't that thing. And I feel like there's a lot of things, internal excuses that can be part of imposter syndrome. Tell me more about that. Tell me what, and I know what I think about imposter syndrome. What, what is imposter syndrome? So imposter syndrome, really briefly, and obviously there's a lot written about it much deeper than we're going to get into, but really briefly, imposter syndrome is the belief that you either don't belong or can't do or aren't enough that is not backed up by data. So for example, if I had imposter syndrome about being a high performance coach and was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Maybe I shouldn't work with executives. I'm not that good yet. Maybe I need more practice. Obviously on paper... I have all the data that says, yeah, Yeah. I totally can do this. So why do I believe I can't? That's imposter syndrome. Got it. Okay. And so is, is, um, so then those are, is imposter syndrome, is that an excuse that we tell ourselves? I think imposter syndrome is a whole conglomerate of excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, I need another set of letters behind my name. Oh, I need yeah. more practice. Oh, I need, you know, whatever. I'm still new. Whatever it is you're making up about it is an excuse to not step into that fear. Now, here's the interesting thing about fear. There's two pieces to it. There's fear, I can't do this, I need, but I need to move through it. And then there's fear that's dumb. Don't do that. Yeah. And the challenge is telling the difference before you do the thing. <laughs> right. Wow. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's interesting. Um, so I, I'm a, um, a, I won't say I'm reformed because I'm not, but I'm an excuse maker. And the pivots that I've made in my career and my life have, have happened when I got called out on making on the excuses that I was making. Mm. Um, and that's something that um, I take as a point of, I guess, in some sense, a point of pride um, mm. in that and that I was um, once it was pointed out, I said, I got to fix this. And then you know, I cruise along my path and all of a sudden some, somebody else calls me out on excuses. Does everybody make excuses at some level? I do think that it's part of the human condition because you have to be comfortable with who you are and who you show up as in the world. And if you have that cognitive dissidence, which is what I believe myself to be and the behavior I'm engaging in are different things, then you have to make an excuse to make it match because otherwise ah, your brain is like, you. I can't deal with this. So anytime there's any cognitive dissonance, you're going to have some kind of story you tell yourself. 
So are people, are there some people like um, elite athletes, perhaps like yourself that, um, I mean, there's still, are there excuses that you make? And I'm not asking, you don't have to ask specifically, but it, Robin is one who studies this, who knows it's an expert. Are there, are there excuses that you yourself make or that you recognize you do? So I think the answer has to that, to the, it has to be yes, it has to be. Yeah. And so for me, well, so another thing, and I can't remember the term, but there's a term for wanting to be more productive than you are, even though you really are productive. And I'd have to right. go find the article and send it to you to check because I can't for the minute yeah. come, up, come up with it. And I feel like I make excuses to myself to not be, that I'm not as productive as I feel like I should be. And then I have to back uh. off of that and say, wait a minute, am I making an excuse like the other way around? Like, am I right. really productive, but I'm talking to myself like I'm not? Is that not ambition though? Well, so where is the line between ambition and driving yourself to an early grave? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I understand that. I don't know where the line, probably for each person, it, it falls in a different place, right? Right. So we have to, we, and, and that's the challenge of being human is we have to kind of have these conversations with ourselves that say, all right, I've got this vision and I got this strategy. What are my psychological barriers, which is, you know, your accountability, your saboteurs, your excuses, whatever those psychological barriers are. And are they barriers to me accomplishing what I want to accomplish or are they things that are keeping me safe? And that is, oh. that is where it gets really tricky. So because if I we, say, so if I say something like I'm, um, I'm not very good at walking a tightrope between buildings, that might just be, that's while that is an excuse, I haven't practiced it. That's probably also me being safe because I'm kind of right. a dork and would certainly fall off anything like that. And you should probably practice it like six, six inches before you go on buildings, right? <laughs> For a long, long, <laughs> hopefully I would never make it to go on buildings. That's not, doesn't interest me. But what right. about saying things like I'm afraid of heights? Is that an excuse for me not wanting to go and stand over near? Because I really, that's a real thing for me. Mm -hmm. a per, or excuse me, a real perceived thing. Is that an excuse for me not wanting to do certain things? So how important are those things? Ah, ah that makes, there you go, right? Because it is almost just a comment of mine. I, I end up climbing up a, it's probably illegal now, but I end up climbing up a pyramid in Mexico uh, a bunch of years ago. I climbed up real fast and I got to the top and turned around and went, holy shit. And I really thought I was going to get pulled off with a helicopter. Oh. Um, my fear was so bad. Mm -hmm. So in sales and business, it's so easy. We're always fraught. I say we're always. A lot of people will make excuses for a lack of performance. And they'll say things like, that guy won't call me back. Or nobody's ever going to pay this kind of a price. Or, um, you know, our marketplace sucks. There's nobody here that's going to buy this stuff. That really is, that's just a protective mechanism, right? Let me make up reasons why I don't have control. Ah, okay. So when I, when I start seeing excuses, I start looking at, okay, where are the areas of control? What can we do? So this guy won't call me back. Okay, well, yep. maybe he's not your client. Maybe somebody else is your client. Maybe you haven't called him often enough. Like there's a whole bunch of things that we could say about why he's not calling you back and what that means and what you should do about it. If you say he won't call me back, full stop, that's an excuse. Now you're not actually taking in any information from that and doing something with it. If he won't call me back and then it's the information, it's just data. 
So I've, it's funny because I have this this theory about this um, that we need to take ownership of these things, and that if you say he won't call me back, then in fact you're maybe it doesn't really happen this way, but I just picture the brain going, okay, you won't call me back, no more, no reason to think about it, as opposed mm-hmm. to, and I don't know if this is exactly true or not, but I like to say if you can add instead of they won't say I haven't figured out how to get them to call me back. Hmm. I haven't figured out how to make a million dollars in this marketplace. I haven't figured out how to be the number one producer. I haven't figured out how to sell in this economy. Somehow that, to me, that feels like the brain goes, okay, let's figure it out, right? It goes a little spider, sp- I picture spider crawly things around the brain going, okay, let's figure that part out. Is there any truth to that? Or is that just my imagination? So that's the difference between the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. Hmm. Fixed mindset. That's how it is. Nothing I can do about it. Can't learn anything. Can't too bad. Growth mindset. Hmm. I think I can figure this out. Maybe I can learn something new. Maybe I can do something different. And there are people who have like very dichotomous fixed mindset, growth mindset. In the same person. Mm-mm. Usually, okay. you, usually you, if you're growth mindset, your growth mindset. If you're fixed mindset, your fixed mindset. Okay. All right. And it comes back well, to that whole point of humans being resilient and anti-fragile. There's never, ever a case where you're like, oh, I can't do anything else with that. I've reached right. the end of the road. You could pivot. You could change. You could grow. You could learn. You could ask. There's always something. You could walk back down the pyramid and say, you know what? I'm not going back up there again. Right. Hell no. Haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so do, are people born with a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset or is it something that they adopt? And does one have a fixed, I mean, a growth mindset for a while and then say, F it, I'm not going to change anymore? Or what, what is that? Well, so I, I, the way I talk about it is that people kind of have either a, def- everybody has a default life, right? There's a default life. It'll get you from cradle to grave just fine. Don't need yes. me. Don't need you. Cradle to grave just fine. And whether you choose to stay in that default mind, uh, mindset or not, the default life you get, you're kind of planted into is dependent on a lot of things. Part of it's your personality. Part of it is what do your parents say? I mean, my, my parents would have loved me to say on my default life. They would have been very happy with that. Yeah, They're very not happy that I decided to do a created life, right? Some people want exponential. It's a lot, but a created life. The thing is, between your default life and your created life, that's where the chaos happens. That's where the excuses mm. start happening. Ah. And so you've got dreams and expectations and failures and kids and pandemic and global warming and war and whatever. So there's two types of people who end up in there. One is the one who says, you know what? It's too hard. Never mind. Fixed mindset. I don't want to do this. They go back to their default life. The other one is the type of person who says, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to look at my excuses. I'm going to, I'm going to change them, whatever. And they continue to strive for whatever their most fulfilled created life is. And is that sometimes a choice that people make? Is that a choice that people make? Is like in my, in well, my simpler terms, it's a giver versus, and not the same, but like I believe it's a choice to become a giver in your personality versus a taker, where you see the world as something that you should put into as opposed to just take out of. I think that's a choice. Is fixed mindset versus growth, is that a choice? Yes, and not necessarily conscious. Ah, so it could be something. So it could be something that was installed into you when you were a kid. And I know everybody's like, "Oh my goodness, here's a psychologist. She's going to talk about childhood." But I think it's true. So much of who we are, how we communicate, how we deal with conflict. I talk about communication fingerprints. So much of that is kind of imprinted on you as a child. Does that mean you're stuck with it? No. 
It may not be your fault, but it is your problem. And you get to decide if you're going to change it or not. And that is something that requires an awakening, kind of a conscious choice. So one of the things I've I'm, found this podcast that I just freaking love. Have you ever heard of the Founder, the Founder podcast? Somebody mentioned that to me. I don't think I've listened to it, though. So I've got to, I'll look up the guy's name. I'll put it in the show notes. But this guy is a unbelievable. He, he's read 250 biographies and autobiographies. His goal is to read a thousand. He has an amazing wow. memory. And so what he does in his podcast is he, so like right now I'm listening to the biography or the autobiography of Lucille Ball and mm. he doesn't read it, but what he'll do is he'll say, I'm going to basically, he tells her life story based on the book saying, okay, and here she says this, and then he'll add his editorial comment and say, this reminds me of what Charlie Munger said and his thing that's back in episode, blah, blah, blah. But he's, wow. um, so it's fascinating. I recommend the Founders Podcast, and there's a paid version that I've joined um, that's longer and more in depth. It's got a black a black background and a white font when you're looking it up because there's several of these. Um, but he said Lucille Ball, which is who I'm reading about now or listening to now, she believes that the greatest actors and the greatest entrepreneurs are ones that probably came from a pretty shitty childhood that started in a difficult, not that we'd wish that on anybody, but they mm. started in a difficult place. And that was what caused them to, uh, well, that was among the things that pushed them to say, get me the hell out of here. And they had to be creative. They had to go and mm. do other things, get out of the crappy place they were. Have you seen any evidence of that? I feel like people do great things when they're driven to do great things. Okay. And people often say to me about my background, oh my goodness, you overcame so much. And my response is, well, I didn't have a choice. It was do or die. Right. Yeah. And someone pointed out to me the other day, well, you could have died. Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that's really, but okay. And so, so many of us as humans who have great stories to tell, have great stories to tell because we've come through great stories. Yeah. I mean, and I know that's really circular logic, but that's the way it goes. I tell people, I, I try and think about it as I don't really have bad days. I just have good stories in the making. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> if I've got enough, if enough time, sometimes I can laugh immediately. Sometimes some time has to pass, but there's always a, a good story mm -hmm. um, that make, make me laugh. So um, what, what can someone do to maybe become more aware of the excuses that they're making? What's so, is, there a, is there a path that somebody can take to do that? So just on your own, it can be really challenging because you're, if you're really ingrained into an excuse, it becomes a default behavior and you yeah. don't even realize you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, it, like to your point, you said earlier, people calling you out on your excuses has been a really big thing for you. A huge thing, yes. If those people had never called you out, you would have never noticed it. Mm -mm. And so I think that the best thing you can do is find someone who'll be honest with you and talk to you. And the challenge with that is, is so many people want to go to friends and family for that. Right. And your friends and family can't really do that because there's a bi-directional relationship there and they have to be careful about damaging the relationship. Yeah. So if you talk to them, then they've got to, then they've got to listen and you may put them back on guard or whatever, right? Right. The other challenge, and I'm going to say this straight up as a professional in the field, finding someone good to listen to is hard. There are so many people out there with the label coach or the label therapist who are just awful. 
They're really good at unpacking boxes and then leaving stuff like all over your emotional attic for you to then trip on all day long. And they don't actually help you solve the problem. And I hate that about my industry. So, um, so how would somebody recognize if they had the wrong coach or the wrong person helping them figure out problems? So one way you, first of all, before you even work with someone, they should have some kind of presence so you can get to know them at some, either they've written stuff or what, and it shouldn't all be a whole bunch of cheerleading nonsense. It shouldn't right. all be, woohoo, yay, we can yeah, do rah, this. Rah, You're rah, awesome. rah, bullshit. Yeah. Right. Ugh. That's nonsense. Ugh. And I can name some really, really big names that are just yeah. really high paid cheerleaders. Yeah. If you want real work, you need more than a cheerleader. You also want to make sure that they ha- you have an opportunity to have some kind of interaction with them that is either in- inexpensive or maybe free, depending upon kind of where they are in their in their career, or maybe pay what you what you want, whatever. But an interaction where you get to decide, do I like them, and they get to decide, do they like you? I gotta right. tell you honestly, there are some people who come to me that I'm like, let me refer you out. I do not think uh, we're a good same, fit, same. right? So there has to be not pay me six figures or whatever ridiculous number they throw out there. And then I'll let you know if, you know, what the secret sauce is. I work with people for two hours before they ever pay me a dime. And the reason I do that is because I am very confident in the work that I do. Does that mean that everyone who does my two hour thing hires me? No, a lot of them can't afford me and that's okay. But I know going in, is this person serious? Because I don't want to spend the next three, six, 18 months with somebody who's playing around. I want people who are serious about making change. And so if you don't have a good connection with someone, if you meet with them once and you're like, "Eh, that didn't, didn't feel right. And I know that that's woo woo, wishy gushy stuff, but If you don't feel right with someone, find someone else. Don't spend money, time, and energy with someone to then six months later go, yeah, that didn't do me any good. So when you say feel right, because sometimes, you know, a really good coach, I believe, right, will challenge somebody. And maybe it's not leaving them with a, oh, gosh, this is wonderful. It's a holy shit. I got that's something I have to absorb and work on. Right. So how do you how do we balance that? So. Feel, when I say feel right, I mean, I'm going to get value out of this and not okay. a whole bunch of, so there's two types, two sides to your brain. There's your emotional brain, which is the rah, rah, yeah, you're amazing. Yeah. And that side of your brain, when it makes money decisions, you're going to regret it. Yeah. And then there's the logical side of your brain that goes, this is going to be valuable. I can do something with this information that's the side of your brain you want making decisions about a coach or a therapist is the side of your brain that says, yeah, this is going to be hard, but I trust this person to be kind and to take me through this in a really useful way. Mm-hmm. I think too, it's, um, and I agree with what you've said. I think that's really smart the way you said that. Um, we have to be ready for this too. You can't go in to be taught. You have to go into with the idea of I'm going to learn. Um, mm-hmm. And so you've got to be open and ready for somebody to be, um, honest with you. And one thing I just want to say out loud is I, I really hate the words of the phrase brutally honest. Cause I think that that gives people permission to be nasty mean. and mm-hmm. mean and mean is not mean is not helpful. And no. so instead, brutally, just how about just honest, <laughs> you know, instead and of brutally, just be honest and kind. The thing is that 
You want someone who isn't afraid of your anger, but ah. is kind enough to not want to make you angry. So there are that's the whole awesome. idea of I'm going to break someone down to build them back up. That's hurtful. How yeah. about if I ask you questions that lead you down a path that allows you to learn where you are and where you want to get to instead? Yeah, a whole lot more valuable. And again, I think this internal versus external is, well, I guess somebody trying to break you down. I guess that could be internal as well. So maybe that's it what, can the be. Right point. And when it, going back to the whole theme of excuses, if I'm exploring excuses with you, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions because I want to know where is that excuse? Where is it living? What's it rooted in? Are we talking about fear? Are we talking about skill set? Maybe you don't have the skills to do that and you haven't like articulated that. Maybe we just need to get you, you know, a course on something. I don't know. Is it rooted in energy? Maybe there's people, places, things, or habits that are keeping you from doing it. Maybe you don't have a plan. Maybe you don't really know where you're going, so you're not going there. I have to ask a whole bunch of questions to find out, like, is this a psychological barrier or is there something else going on? Interesting. I love that because I just, as you were saying that, I was picturing myself and I kind of pictured like a, um, I don't know what I pictured, some kind of a ball with with things that were shooting out of it this far. Maybe this is as far as I've planned and thought, but but and these from my own life experience. And so through questions, you can figure out, you could help me figure out kind of, okay, well, the reason that you're not doing this is because you haven't seen far enough ahead or because you're back here. Anyway, that's fascinating. And that goes back to how do you pick a good coach or a therapist? If they come to you with all of the answers, you can mm -hmm. guarantee that they have built a box and they are going to put you in it. <laughs> right. Well, isn't the key of what you guys do is to have the, ideally have your client kind of figure out, I mean, you guide, but they figure out the answers, right? Isn't that the ideal It's their sense? life, right? I can yeah. suggest, I can ask questions, I can have ideas, I can say, well, I've made this mistake, so maybe avoid that one and make a different mistake. But mm -hmm. I, when... So many coaches, and that's a really broad box, but so many coaches out there have a box and they just put people in it. They emotionally get people wound up and they put people in a box. Mm. It's easy to sell. Boxes are really easy to sell. Right. Or well, you gin it up and it's an emotional thing, right? It's once again, goes back to your goes Here's back all to your the point. answers. Your life will be solved. All you need is this $5,000 box with unicorns in it. I don't know, and, whatever. And, but you know, people do buy, they do buy a, um, they buy a, a, a solution. I mean, are there right. people are looking for, and I've noticed um, myself when I have spent money on things, immediately when I say, I'm going to go down this path, I'm going to hire Dr. Robin, I'm going to hire this coach, I'm going to do whatever. Immediately I feel calm because I know that the, that the path will be led for me. So I don't have to wait for results. Mm. Is that normal or is that just, just, that just my screwed up head? No, that, so most people feel like when they make a purchase like that, okay, I've taken action. Yes. I've done something. And that's fabulous as long as that action is actually leading you down the path that you want to go. It's bad if you take an action that's leading you in the wrong direction. Got it, of course. And sometimes only hindsight can tell you that, right? Right, And then exactly. you've got to make another decision to fix it. Well, it takes people. a really special person to realize that getting over excuses and all of these things that we're talking about are nebulous. They just are. And so if you buy a box that says, I have all the answers, you're probably going to be disappointed. Interesting. And so when people come to me, I don't say, this is my five point plan to solving all of your problems. Like yeah. that's not a thing. 
I do right. I have a strategy? Do I have a framework? Yes, absolutely. But where we go in that is like playing golf. We may start wherever you are, which is the T, and then we hit the ball. And where the ball lands, that's where we play it. We don't say, sorry, the box says you're over here. I don't care the ball went there. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> really smart. I've, I've um, thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, let me tell you a couple of things that I've, I've learned today that are so um, interesting to me. Is um, I like where you said the definition is a reason giving for something not taken place or that ha- something given that has not taken place, right? Um that because it's a factual statement. And so um, I love that. And that we also do it to make ourselves feel okay about the situation we're in. It's a self-protection mechanism. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. That's right. And that it takes, it often takes somebody else to point out in my, in my own situation, when I was making excuses, uh, well, excuse me, the 25 years ago, the excuses I were making, so was everybody else around me. Everybody else in my office make the same ones. And so that was the truth because that was what I heard and I bought in and believed that was the easiest way. And it was not until somebody from the outside pointed out, hey, you know, that's not exactly true. Mm-hmm. And then that was when the scales fell off my eyes, the light bulbs went off that, holy shit, I'm wasting my life over here. So um, yep. Dr. Robin, where would people find you? What's a good place they could find you if they want to talk more or find out more what you do? So my website is drrobinodegaard.com, but that's really hard to spell. And so I also, it's easier that they just go to champperformance.com. And that's got two P's in the middle. That's the only one thing that's hard about it, but champperformance.com will get them to my website. They can find me there. And they can also search my podcast, which is called Quick Hits. And it's on YouTube and all the places. And it's on, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. And there's over 200 episodes. It's a really fun way for people to get to know me because you were just on one, which was a lot was. of fun. There yeah. are four people, one topic, 10 minutes. So a pretty intense conversation. You know, um, and it's, and it's fun, fast moving. I really like it. I do check out her podcast. Um, quick hits, quick, quick hits. hits podcast, quick hits yep. podcast, uh, wherever you look. So, um, nobody has sales team. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Robin Odegaard. She is super smart and fun to talk to and a, and a cool person doing a lot of neat things. Um, I would ask if you would please do me a favor. And if you have not yet rated my podcast, subscribe. You can subscribe. You can not subscribe, but give me a review. Write it down. That helps increase um, the viewers who are exposed to this. And if you will write a review on my podcast, take a picture of it and send it to me at walker at walkermckay.com. I'll give you something free and cool that you will like. So um, (laughs) anyway, so look forward to doing that. And a lot of y'all have done that. We've already, we boosted up and trying to get to a hundred because that's when the, um, that is when the thing, when the next time that Apple um, raises the bar of who Mm. they expose it to is at a hundred reviews. And I'm at like 77 or so. So if you can help a brother out, I would sure appreciate it. Dr. Robin, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, It's great to have you and I'm glad to know. Thank you, Walker. I had a good time. Thanks for listening to the OBS Sales School podcast. If you haven't already, please take one minute to write a quick review for the show. It really does make a huge difference. Also, subscribe to the show and please forward this episode to somebody else who needs to hear it. As a bonus for listening, I'm going to give you access to a free mini course, Seven Expensive Sales Mistakes You're Making and What You Can Do About It. Go to www.7salesmistakes.com and get access to the free mini course. That's the number seven salesmistakes.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the OBS Sales School podcast. 